0: Hey, hey, Prime members, talking to you. You can listen to CBS Mornings on the go, ad-free, on Amazon Music. Download the app today. June's Journey is a fascinating hidden object mystery gaming app where you'll play as June Parker, tasked with a daunting obligation. Solve your sister's murder. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS
1: and Android.
0: Absolutely, absolutely love In the Thick of It. Another show that is also in the book is The IT Crowd. Those are both, I think, British hidden gem comedies (laughs) that folks really should take a look at. They're older, obviously, but but so so great. And then there's actually an entire section of international and global television shows that have had a new revamp. And one of our chapters is dedicated to K-dramas, Korean dramas. Mm -hmm. And what's interesting now after Squid Game, which was actually a show that came out after the book was written. So we didn't talk about Squid Game in the book, but we do have this entire section on K-dramas. And so it's like, this is what's great about the book. You can watch Squid Game and then go into the book and find all of these um, yet to be discovered Korean dramas.
1: Hello, I'm CBS News contributing correspondent Jamie Wax, and this is the CBS Mornings podcast. Jacqueline Coley, one of my favorite repeated guests, is Rotten Tomatoes, editor and co-host of the Rotten Tomatoes is Wrong podcast. She joins us today to talk about Rotten Tomatoes' latest book, Rotten Tomatoes, The Ultimate Binge Guide, 296 must-see shows that change the way we watch TV. Gosh, the way we watch TV has really changed. Jacqueline, welcome to the podcast. Yes, Jamie, thank you so much for having me. Um, The Ultimate Binge Guide is a follow-up to one of my favorite books about films, Rotten Movies We Love, which I, I came out to LA a few years ago to interview you for a story on that. Why did you and the team want to release this book? And, and why now? Are we binging more post-pandemic?
0: I mean, yeah, it's actually, it was a situation of both. This was sort of something that we, Rotten Tomatoes, were the location that's known for the platform to find out information, discovery, For but most folks only know us for our film side. And it is lesser known that we also provide the same incredible service for television. So from a corporate, you know, like, this is what we're already doing. Let's find a way to maybe make a big sort of thing that lets people know, hey, this is also part of who we are under the Rotten Tomatoes umbrella, and then coincidedly at the same time when COVID-19 sort of folks uh, were forced to be back at home. One thing we also noticed on the site was just how much binging and sort of the peak television and our sort of favorite shows started bubbling up on the site as people started revisiting them because now they had more time now that we were at home. I mean, The Sopranos shot up to be not only one of the most streamed shows, on platforms, but also one of the number one shows that people were checking out on our website. And we definitely saw that correlation. And so it actually ended up being something of a serendipitous event, but also something mm. that we had been planning for a while.
1: Yes, I, I re the entire uh, series of The Sopranos getting ready for Many Saints of Newark, like a lot of people did. And right when I finished it, that film left HBO Max. So <laughs> oh, my, my timing Lord. was <laughs> But let's talk about the current landscape of TV. I mean, people describe it as the golden age of television, rightly so. I mean, there are more chances, it seems, being taken in television than in film, less formulaic uh, decisions, uh, especially among streaming services and the cable networks. Uh, what, What would you describe the current landscape of TV as?
0: Well, I think, you know, this is something that has been going on for a while, but content has really, and the idea of television as content has exploded. Um, with the quote unquote streaming wars that we have been living in for the past three to five years, with Netflix obviously being the biggest player in this, but also, you know, you have Amazon now and Hulu, you have Disney Plus, you have newer offerings from Roku. I mean, we've even had folks come in and out of this uh, like Quibi. <laughs> um, <laughs> and so it is a very interesting and incredible timing, you know, have Peacock and folks are still finding their footing. And because of it, there's a lot of money and a lot of, um, I think platforms looking for ways to draw folks in to make them their new Netflix, to make them that one streaming service that no matter what you have to keep on those monthly recurring charges because you find such value in the content that is on that platform. And so that has really exploded. In addition to that, you have premium cable, which has expanded. And all of this really began when we started doing at-home DVD rental and sales of television shows. That shifted the way folks watch television. And it also shifted what folks were wanting to see. It changed television into appointment communal activity to something that some people just did on their own And so you found more singular niche, less, I would say um, what's thought to previously have been universal content, the family sitcoms. You're now seeing these dark comedies, anti-heroes, period dramas and comedies. I mean, you look at a show like Ted Lasso and as incredible and as universal and, and crowd pleasing as that show is, it'd be hard pressed to maybe find that show on linear television Mm-hmm. Um, without something like Apple Plus,
1: right? I mean, you mentioned Quibi. In your opinion, can all of these platforms stand? Are we gonna are we gonna lose one or a few more?
0: Oh no, we're gonna use we're gonna lose a bunch. I mean, this is this is just the math of time. I mean, some of these um, streaming services are making long bets. One of the things that folks I think sort of forget with Netflix is they started as a DVD rental service, mm-hmm. and they shifted to a streaming service through that time frame when dvd rentals started to decrease and they were lucky enough that they had this dvd rental to sort of fund their ambitious play into streaming these other streaming services some of them have bigger corporate umbrellas like disney and universal with peacock that can sort of float this but it takes an intense amount of capital for these folks to you know acquire the rights to previously released content to stream on their platforms or to create new content. I mean, Netflix spends over $9 billion sometimes. Uh, I think this year, this uh, the uh, pre-pandemic, they were maybe gonna hit $10 billion in original content. Mm-hmm. And that is not something that the average, that the current major studios spend in content combined. Mm-hmm. So when you're talking about numbers like that, um, These are longer bets, and you're going to need to make a longer bet if you're going to be able to knock out someone with that much history. But I think there's folks that are doing it. I mean, Disney Plus has definitely, in just a few years, done a lot. Peacock is a different model. But what's interesting about that is they also have a content uh, farm that is much deeper than other folks. They have all of these legacy properties that they can play in as well with Disney. And I think it's a question of how much they wanna play with their originals versus what they already own. Mm-hmm. So I think it's an interesting time. In five or 10 years, I think the players may have shifted and you know the names may be different, but they'll probably be three or four services that sort of emerge, maybe five to be top competitors. There'll be some also rands and then the vast majority I think will get out of the space.
1: You have always been a hero of underdiscovered films and underdiscovered TV series. What, what are we not watching enough of? What are, what are sort of the, uh, the underdogs right now?
0: Well, okay, I will talk about one of my favorite places, which is British original comedies that I feel like folks have definitely not paid attention to. One that I think is a great hidden gem is In the Thick of It, and if you don't know about this one, is actually the show that inspired Veep, and that is actually one of the chapters within the book are these US-UK adaptations. The Office is another example of this absolutely, absolutely love In the Thick of It. Another show that is also in the book is The IT Crowd. Those are both, I think, British hidden gem comedies (laughs) that folks really should take a look at. They're older, obviously, but but so, so great. And then there's actually an entire um, section of international and global television shows that have had Um, a new revamp. And one of our chapters is actually dedicated to K-dramas, Korean dramas. Mm -hmm. And what's interesting now after Squid Game, which was actually a show that came out after the book was written. So we didn't talk about Squid Game in the book but we do have this entire section on K-dramas. And so it's like, this is what's great about the book. you can watch Squid Game and then go into the book and find all of these um, yet to be discovered Korean dramas. Um, More recently a show that I think folks need to definitely watch if you missed it uh in its first season is the witcher it mm-hmm. is absolutely incredible and their season two is even better and a new animated show that just came out two new anime shows that just came out one is arcane absolutely absolutely love this show it is it is adult anime and i just just tune into it and and let it sort of like invade you because it really shows what animation as a genre is capable of. And another one, not as new, but still incredible. And that's the Castlevania series that was based Mm. off of the Castlevania video games. And that's just sort of a smattering, but there's all kinds of stuff, you know, comedies like Working Moms, Fleabag, Insecure. There's tons of stuff.
1: It really is such a crowded field. It, 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 we talk about that. It's it's impossible to see everything. Now you, that's your whole job. I mean, you binge for a living, but uh, but it really is hard. It's always such a bummer for me when somebody raves about a, a show that they've been watching and I it wasn't even on my radar. That that happens a lot more yet, lately.
0: Yeah. No. Absolutely. And that was also one of the motivations for the book. If nothing else, if you were somebody who. Maybe you've seen a hundred titles in this book, you'll find the other 200 to be Uh, refreshing and interesting and something maybe that you hadn't heard of or seen before and more importantly if you enjoyed those shows you can read interesting takes and in what we sort of think of as our favorite episodes or characters and you can sort of have your internal debate about whether or not Kelly is the greatest character of *Insecure*. If you don't believe that you're wrong because I wrote that <laughs> entry and I know <laughs> that that is correct but you can maybe you know let us know what you feel is different. That is the great thing about Rotten Tomatoes is we really invite folks to not only discover but debate and discuss and that's like really at the heart of what the site is about.
1: It's always a self-deprecating conversation with you all which I I love about the way you you approach art which is subjective obviously Um, but let's talk about how this book is broken down. You you mentioned one of the sections but it's broken down into 10 categories. How did you come up with these categories? How many did you decide there were going to be 10 and just sort of uh, settle on that or were there more potential ones?
0: Well, really the way that it started is it started with this very, this great big board. And because we were at home at COVID, it was a great big uh, Excel sheet that was online that we could all add stuff to. And all of the Rotten Tomatoes editors and the great contributors that we asked to come help join us in creating this book, we all just like listed off all of our favorite TV shows, which shows should we talk about, which shows would we want to write about, which shows should people be talking about and they don't know it yet. And we just made this huge exhaustive list. I don't remember what that first list was, but it was definitely, I think over 500 television shows um, from all kinds of genres, from everything from reality TV to uh, how to do uh, documentaries, like how to documentaries. So, we then sort of whittled that down to what we consider the most essential titles and then once we got that list of about 296 we looked at common groupings like how what's an interesting way to talk about this it's not just comedy and drama it's like oh well let's talk about anti-heroes and that's one of them mysteries and mind f so like let's go to the more um true crime supernatural side of it um let's look at you know uh the sitcoms that we know and love and or the classic era of television and the sort of inception of the medium and once we had that we then looked at those big areas and filled in if we felt there were some that maybe uh, should have more titles or some titles be switched and moved and that's kind of how it all came together and it was really an interesting and fun debate Um, you know some people had to kill their darlings but we Mm -hmm. all came to the to the final list and it was really excellent.
1: Uh, let's go through a couple of these categories and just give me one or two of your favorite examples of these things. I mean, first, it's classics that made the molds and those that broke them.
0: Oh yeah, so obviously we have to talk about I Love Lucy, but even something if we go into shows like Cheers, but uh, things like Golden Girls and Laverne and Shirley, uh, and uh, I'm trying to think also uh, shows like What's Happening in Sanford and Son. Mm
1: -hmm. Uh, my, My kids and I call those wallpaper shows if you're it's something that you're so familiar with you'll binge over and over again while you're distracting yourself from daily tasks
0: sometimes yes <laughs> exactly
1: um, all right and look, this is great a great title tony Walt, don and the antiheroes we loved and hated this is i mean this is clearly one of the most emerging sectors of storytelling in television
0: Yeah. And it's so great because we already said some of them, you know, Walter White from Breaking Bad. Mm -hmm. We have Tony Soprano from The Sopranos, but we also have people like Al Swearingen from Deadwood. We have Omar Mm -hmm. from The Wire, Mm -hmm. Uh, Nucky from Boardwalk Empire. These are just some of the anti-hero sort of television shows that became very prevalent. And uh, Dexter is another one. Mm -hmm.
1: Um, What about game changing sitcoms and the kings and queens of cringe? I love that. (laughs)
0: yeah so this is uh what's so interesting is these comedies that came up that really sort of embraced awkward comedy and so we have things like Atlanta um and New Girl um also a show like The Office which also appears on another list but for this one it was definitely you know sort of a game changing cringe sitcom things like Always uh, Sunny in Philadelphia and Arrested Development
1: yeah and one of my favorites, Pen15, which is yes. so 15, cringeworthy, yes. brilliantly qu- cringeworthy. Um, Grown-up genre, that's a, that's a fascinating character. Explain that a little bit for listeners who, who might not be clear on what you're going for there. So this is, you
0: know, swords, sandals, dragons, wizards, that sort of thing. So we're talking about Game of Thrones. Um, we're talking about, you know, uh, high fantasy shows that, you know, either came and went. Um, sorry, I, I, literally, <laughs> I literally had the title in my head. One second. Uh, so hold on. Hold on. I had it. Oh, yes. So we have, you know, shows like Outlander. We have shows mm-hmm. like Game of Thrones. I mean, really anything where you're talking about sci-fi or high fantasy, um, in addition to um, battles and, and epic sort of conquests like that.
1: Yeah. High production value for all of yes. this, really. Um, mysteries and for the CBS Mornings podcast, we'll say mind Fs. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
0: Yeah, so this is actually going to really talk about this sort of true crime, but also mystery style area. So we have things like Don't F with Cats also in mind of yes. the CBS oh podcast audience. Right. Uh, that is where, you know, these internet sleuths go on the hunt for a, uh, a serial killer. Um, you also have other true crime shows like Wild Wild Country, uh, something mm. like even Tiger King uh, makes an entry into the book
1: interesting and then reality tv and docu-series that capture the zeitgeist yes
0: yeah, so this is also one where you have double entries so tiger king also
1: plays yes. into this one yeah i was far- about to say because many of these could could be yeah, considered no they
0: a- they absolutely have dual dual stuff on that one um the other stuff in there is also things like uh, the Ted Bundy Chronicles. Um, Mm -hmm. you also have, what was it? Uh, RuPaul's Drag Race from the reality TV area. Mm -hmm. It's Queer Eye for the Straight Guy.
1: Uh, yeah, it's interesting. I mean, it's, it's, it's continually amazing to me that documentary has really become some of the most creative, often funny storytelling there is through the fact that we will pay more attention for a longer time. When everybody says our attention span is shrinking, but we'll watch these 16-hour documentaries now. I mean, The Staircase was a few hours when it was on PBS years ago, but then they spread it out, and it was far more interesting and better storytelling, in my opinion.
0: Absolutely. One thing I will say too, with that whole idea of commitment, you know, people are having so many conversations right now about, you know, the length of movies, you know, there's people are like, no movie should be over two hours. This is like a legitimate thing when you're talking about people going to the theater, but those same people will binge the entire season of Mandalorian in one sitting. (laughs) It's so twist, it's yeah. interesting what our commitment time is now. And that has shifted because of binge viewing.
1: I, I wonder if it's really managing expectations. You know what mm-hmm. you're going into with an episode of, of a long-form series a little more than you do a movie. Mm-hmm. Um, let me ask you about that because you mentioned The Mandalorian. This is one and it was uh, uh, decided by Disney+. Plus. Also, um, you know, there are shows like Succession that are rolled out this way. It, it's fascinating to see how many streaming services and networks are just dumping the whole season on us and, and how many of them are still making us wait a week for the original rollout. What do you think about that? And do you have any that you just go ahead and let pile up for a few weeks so you can binge them? Because I, I find myself doing that.
0: Um, yes. Yeah, so I will admit that I am not the the advocate or spokesperson for any weekly viewing. Like I understand (laughs) that weekly viewing is very interesting and I appreciate places like HBO and at time, even folks like Netflix who have embraced the weekly format for certain television shows. I actually do appreciate that because it does allow things to become part of the zeitgeist and part of the collective conversation. One of the reasons why Game of Thrones was Game of Thrones was because people had to wait for episode nine to arrive, um, you know, so on and so forth. Um, I don't like that. Like I will always, (laughs) I am the biggest succession stand you will find. I love that show and live for it. I watched the entire season the day before the finale because I don't have it in me to have the patience for weekly viewing. Like I just want to watch it. And it causes me a bit of anxiety. Sometimes I think when these shows are so like, I don't know what's going to happen next. And like, Mm -hmm. I just don't want to sign up for extra anxiety. Like life is anxious enough. So yeah, I actually do do that. I wait for it to get to like the next to the last or the last episode. And the the handmaid's tale was weekly as well. And I also did that. And I think each platform has their own calculus on which shows they think would be better just in a dump and which shows would be better in a weekly format. And I do, though, appreciate that certain places are at least experimenting.
1: As much information that comes to you across your computer, across your devices, across your desk, how in the world do you avoid spoilers? I mean, if you're waiting (laughs) on, on succession, how in the world do you avoid that?
0: Basically, if you know what day the show is on, just avoid the internet that night and the next morning and you're pretty good. And then also some carefully muted words, but I don't know. I have a pretty good curated Twitter feed of people that are not crappy. Some things don't get spoiled for me, but they might get alluded to like last season. I did the same thing. And so I knew L to the L to the O was gonna be a thing, but I didn't know what it was until I actually watched it. And so I would say that I get maybe light spoilers, but nobody ever really like ruins a show for me. I, White Lotus was a thing all over my timeline. Yeah. I waited until it was out and I didn't know anything that happened in that show.
1: Yeah, that was, that was a fantastic binge show, if you could watch it, because boy, did it leave you hanging in some strange places. So.
0: That's why I was like, I could not do this. I would be furious, <laughs> furious. But that's great writing. And I'm in no way, I'm like, I like that you oh, write okay. it that way. I just don't want to watch it that way.
1: Right, right. And now you have the luxury, which is part of what this, this book is about. Uh, Jacqueline Coley is our guest from Rotten Tomatoes. And the book is called Rotten Tomatoes, The Ultimate Binge Guide, 296 must-see shows that changed the way we watch TV. Jacqueline, I hope we'll talk again soon. And thanks. This is really a, a fantastic and very comprehensive book.
0: Oh, thank you so much. And thank you for your time.
1: This is Jamie Wax, and this has been the CBS Mornings podcast. Hey Prime members, you can listen to CBS Mornings on the go ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Or you can listen ad-free with Wondery Plus in Apple Podcasts. Before you go, tell us about yourself by completing a short survey at Wondery.com survey. Do you ever feel like there's nothing new in the news? You know there are urgent things happening in the world around you. But all you hear is noise. That's why we made What Next?, Our goal is to tell you the stories you haven't heard before. Or maybe a different side to the story you thought you already knew all about. I'm Mary Harris, the host of What Next? And I love my job because it helps me cut through the noise of the news. And then I get to bring it to you. Together, we can figure out what next.